Jesus, Mother of God, how's she cutting and how are you getting on? You're all very welcome, welcome one and all to Tura Lura, the podcast where myself and Mr. KD in Oslo, Christian Duckstad, are exploring folk songs on this fine Sunday afternoon. And we are here to bring you the best, well maybe not the best, but what, what we consider to be the most interesting facts about everything in the folk world. Hello Christian, hello, hello. Hello, hello. It's Sunday and it's sunny and we're getting close to summer, as I've said already recently. Uh, but it's it's really, it's filling my heart with joy every single day when I can go outside in my short GAA shorts. Can you see them, Josh? Oh my God, Christian is wearing the old, uh, I think they're Dublin shorts. I don't approve. <laughs> give, give, the... give us a good look at them there. What, what them colour from... are the stripes? They are Dublin shorts, you bollocks. Well... I didn't buy them myself. I got them from Rory Costello. We'll say nothing, Rory. We'll say nothing. <laughs> say nothing. I'll have to. I'll have to amend that. At least you have a clear jersey. I do have a clear jersey. That cancels it out. Given to me by the famous Brian Corey, the legend. <laughs> so, Josh, I have a monster energy. I believe you have a monster energy, and I feel like I certainly do. I wish they were sponsoring us because, be Jesus, they've been getting me through the last few episodes. That's for sure. <laughs> and today it's very fitting because we are talking about one of the most energetic songs that I know. Absolutely. I don't think I've ever uh, had to have as much energy as I've had having to play this song around Temple Bar. That's for sure. But yeah, are you tired after a long day of talking shit about folk songs? Do you need an extra kick of energy to keep you going for that last few minutes of the podcast? If so, try Monster Energy Ultra. <laughs> All of the energy, none of the calories. <laughs> I am drinking the Ultra Fiesta Mango. It is fantastic. <laughs> we we absolutely sound like we're being sponsored right now. <laughs> well, we're not. I wish but we were. If anything, they're getting some free advertising there. So. <laughs> to all of the people in the folk music world. <laughs> yeah. I suppose if you're being realistic and you're at a trad session or a folk session somewhere in the world, there's probably going to be pints of Guinness on the table quicker than there'll be an energy drink. Yeah, for sure. But we have had... I, I just got a, a, a wave of memories of us during Celtic Connections drinking... Uh, whiskey and iron brew which is one of the most disgusting drinks I've ever had I can safely tell you I can absolutely safely tell you that I did not drink one of those I may have tasted <sighs> one of yours but that was not happening like that was that. back in the days when you could actually share a drink without the fear of death <laughs> let's not get into that <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be a reoccurring sentence for me, but we'll be back to traveling the world, playing music. Hopefully in no time. We'll be back I've got out my there. flight booked. Yeah. I'll be, over, I'll be over next Monday. So, we're talking about a folk song about travel. We certainly are. This folk song is about a very, 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 very long journey that took place back in the day. You know, I've been listening back to some of these episodes and my catchphrase is back in the day. I say it too much. I need to stop myself. <laughs> I've said it maybe 40 times in one episode. Back in the day, back in the day. But yeah. <laughs> so many, many years ago, we had a lot of travel going on from Ireland over to America with goods and services and shipping things. I don't know why things were going from Ireland to America. You would think it would be the other way around. But no, this story is about a journey from Ireland to America, just like many, many, many stories before. This is Uncle Josh telling a story. <laughs> it's when I absolutely lose my train of thought and I'm sitting here going, what am I going to say? I really don't know, but I'm going to keep speaking for the sake of the podcast. But yeah, folks, as we said, Tura Laura is here for your entertainment and we want you to get in touch with us. So don't forget, as always, we have our socials, Facebook, Instagram. We have our email address, touralaurapodcast at gmail.com. And we also have our Apple Podcasts account where we are looking for sweet, sweet reviews. Sweet, sweet reviews. We did get um, a message about reviews from Paddy underscore Kiwi. He's, he's tried to, to access the Apple Podcast site uh, to leave a con comment, but he didn't seem to find it. And uh, I just want to say that uh, I'm not completely sure whether or not it's possible to leave 
a review on the Apple Podcast Turalura website on Apple Podcasts. Uh, but it's definitely possible in the phone app. And I believe it's possible on the app if you have a Mac. And it might be possible to download that the, the computer app on a Windows machine as well. But if you, on a phone, if you go into Apple Podcasts and you find Turalura and you scroll all the way to the bottom of the of the page underneath all of the episodes there's a leave um leave a review mm-hmm. button and there's a place you can hit all those lovely stars as well yeah you're actually dead right i just checked it there as you were speaking and if you go on through the website itself it shows you the reviews that have been left but it doesn't give you the option to give a review so you would need to do it from your phone or from the app by the sounds of it yeah just to reiterate what christian was saying sorry yeah, no, that's that's perfect. So this particular song, which goes unnamed, unless you're looking at the title up above, is a song world famous and world renowned about a very, very interesting journey that took place transporting cargo from County Cork in Ireland all the way over to New York City, the land of opportunity. And before we go any further into it, I'm just going to ask KD over there to set the scene. How's it going? What can I get you? Point of Guinness, please. Thanks. No problem. Coming right up. Good session, by the way. Ah, cheers. They're here three days a week. <laughs> you think that's good? Back in me sailing days, I knew a man by the name of Mickey Cute. <laughs> he was a god of a flute player. So he was. He'd still be playing at top speed when the dancers were falling over drunk. Right. Yeah. If you're a regular, you should get him to play her sometime. He's long gone now. Okay, uh, sorry. Here you are, mister. One pint of Guinness. Thanks a million. Guinness man, yar. Back in me sailing days, we were carrying about seven million barrels of porter from Cove to New York City. <laughs> it must have been a big fecker of a ship, so. <laughs> you think that's a lot? That's only a drop in the bucket. We were carrying a full cargo of bricks to New York. We had barrels of bones, Schleigo rags and bales and any goat's tails as well. She was the biggest feckin' ship to ever sail the Atlantic. <laughs> she must have been by the sound of it. Ah, sure, just ask any of the old gang. Bill Tracy, Barney McGee, Schlugger O'Toole, Mick McCann. They tell you. Okay, where can I find these fine gentlemen? Uh, Lord be good to them, they're all gone. They're in their watery graves. After seven years on the water, she went over somewhere in Lake Baikal. Jesus, it was a tragedy, and I'm the only one that lives to tell the tale. And what a fucking spectacular tale it is. When was this, if you don't mind me asking? In our Lord's year 1806. Her name was the Irish Rover. And now I'm going for a piss. Yeah, go on. Good luck to you. You all good? Can I get you anything else? Yeah, I'll have another, please. Cheers. That guy that was sitting over there, who is he? Oh, Jesus, which one did he tell today? That he fucking killed Hitler, fought Cromwell, invented the iPhone? <laughs> no, apparently he's the lone survivor of a seven-year-long sea voyage over 200 years ago. <laughs> well, he sure as fuck isn't. He's practically glued to that stool over there. His name is Paddy Losty. He says he's not much of a drinker, but I've seen him get about 27 pints into him in a single sitting. Well, in fairness, that's not entirely unimpressive. No, it's not, but if you ask him, it'll probably be more like 45 in about two hours. Before we delve any further into this famous song, I have one question about that scene setting. What what was the drink of choice while he was bullshitting his way through that story? About 45 pints of Guinness and a packet of crisps and a packet of peanuts. And then Maureen will have the fry on in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. It'd be a Paddy Losty kind of a story, all right. Yeah. I I just want to start off, Josh, by, by saying um, 
Of all the tall tales of tall ships, none had a cargo to compare with the fabulous Irish Rover. That is from the Irish Songbook 75 songs collected, adapted, written and sung by the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem. And we'll get into the cargo a little later. I just want to start off by that. The tall tales of tall ships. The tall tales of tall ships, yeah. I'd say the Irish Rover was the tallest feckin' ship anyone has ever seen because if it had that much stuff on it, I'm surprised it didn't sink to the bottom of Cork Harbour before it left. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get into that a little bit later. But before we we talk about uh, any of uh, the contents of the ship or the song, what is the story of the song, Josh? Who wrote it? Who feckin' knows? (laughs) That's the question No, the Irish Rover is a very famous old Irish folk song And if you look it up online You'll come across some kind of Mutterings and ramblings about it But it's just one of those Very, very ambiguous uh, Typical folk songs, really We're not sure who wrote it It's attributed to a man called J.M. Crofts Who, after a little bit of research I've learned is Joseph Mary Crofts I wonder if he was named after Joseph Mary Plunkett But yeah Joseph Mary Crofts, and uh, we'll get into him a little bit later too, because we found a little bit of info, although not much. And he is the one that he's that is <clears throat> he is the one that's attributed with the song, even though there's absolutely no inclination whatsoever that he wrote it or that it came from him. Um, the song tells the story of a sailing ship that reaches an unfortunate end, as we learn on Wikipedia. The first sentence there is just amazing. The Irish Rover is an Irish folk song about a magnificent, though improbable, sailing ship that reaches an unfortunate end. I think that's the epitome of all things folk music, really. Everything is lovely, but improbable. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the song has been recorded by everyone and anyone that has anything to do with Irish folk music and folk songs and some people that don't have anything to do with Irish folk music and folk songs. Uh, Some of the notable versions there, um, of course, the Clancy Brothers were the ones that brought it to fruition. Mm -hmm. They made it famous. Uh, Dominic Behan, very, very famous songwriter, producer, music manager um, back in the day. There it is again. (laughs) He was the man that kind of took it on board and brought it to the masses over here. Um, who else do we have? We had a lot well, of... Well, the Dubliners and Ronnie Drew uh, on his yeah. uh, solo album as well. The absolute most definitive version that uh, is the most famous around here, where I come from anyway, it would be the collaboration between the Pogues and the Dubliners, where Ronnie yes. Drew and Shane McGowan sang it together. And yes. it was absolutely fucking fantastic. And they actually performed it live on the Late Late Show. And that can be viewed on YouTube. And we will stick that in the show notes. We will. That is one of those uh, immortal performances of Irish music. I think that one performance of that song inspired so many people around the world to actually get into Irish music. Yeah. Sure, like, even the name, the the idea of Irish Rovers... And like you said, there's a band called the Irish Rovers. Everyone around the world that thinks of Ireland thinks of Irish Rovers, Wild Rovers. And it's all because of these songs. They kind of, they kickstarted that kind of generation and ideology of thinking about Ireland and roving and all of that good stuff. There's a few other bands there that played it too. Like you said earlier when we were talking about it, Dropkick Murphys had a very, very famous version. Yes, the Dropkick Murphys, together with maybe... Flogging Molly and like there's there's a million of other um Celtic punk bands, but Dropkick Murphys and Flogging Molly are like at the forefront of that genre, and that has brought Irish music uh, into into the lives of so many youngsters, for <laughs> Absolutely. sure. And the likes of Temple Bar has just immortalised it even more because everyone requests it when they get here and that causes all the new young musicians to learn their own versions of it and belt it out as hard and fast as possible and make it their own. And uh, what I've noticed is, above any other song, this is the one that drives the tourists feckin' mental. <laughs> but it has that effect. Like It, it has everything. It has, it has the humour, it has the tempo, the energy. It's very lively and it has a, a major key, uh, positive, enthusiastic tone to it. And it 
just yeah it lends itself really well to the punk as well uh it's no wonder that dropkick murphy's has has made it into a punk hit because it has that drive force it works so well with the stomp box since you mentioned (laughs) temple bar like it it is that foot stomping absolutely one of the biggest things that i love about it is it's something that i mention at every gig when we're playing songs like this as well it's just that typical thing that you have with irish songs where you're either gonna have a really driving fast happy song with a really sad story behind it or a really sad melancholy melody about a happy story yeah it's crazy but a lot of the misery and the woe and the starvation and the hunger was all depicted in these really happy songs and that (laughs) brought me back to thinking about a time when I was in college and I was learning a lot about world music and bluegrass music and bluegrass music originated on the plantations in America with the slaves and they were leading really rough really really hard lives but bluegrass music came from that and mountain music because it was their way of bringing themselves up out of their slump and their depression and they would play happy music and sing really happy lively songs but the topics they sang about were still really sad so it could be a similar thing in Ireland in terms of we had a lot of really sad hard times and things like that going on and troubles but we were still able to lift ourselves out of that and kind of bring ourselves a bit of happiness through the music, even if the music is about morbid things. Everybody died, and isn't it fantastic? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it reminded me of a sketch by Dumbelievables a lot of years ago where they talked about the two up in the cottage in the mountains and they had the misery and the woe and the starvation and the hunger and the gout and sure the daughter dropped dead and it was awful and the misery and the woe, but sure they were happy. <laughs> It's just your typical Irish mentality, but that long story short, what I was talking about there was the typical kind of notion that all of these really happy melodies and happy songs, if you listen to the words, are quite morbid. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's there's a difference between the sort of humorous sad songs like like this and like Tim Finnegan that we we talked about a few weeks ago what's what's the second verse there one morning tim got rather full he fell from his ladder and broke his skull uh <laughs> but like the whole point of that song is that it it's a funny story it's it's humorous yeah. it's meant to be that and the same with this song and it's probably more of a drunk bar story than anything else but absolutely well, <laughs> and the intention of the song itself is to perk people up and get them going so it's it's fulfilling its job, you know, but just when you do listen to lyrics and kind of pay attention to them sometimes, like, turn nine times around and the poor old dog was drowned and I'm the last of the Irish row. If that, if you were the person that that had happened to, would you have written that song in that way? No, Jesus, I would have and been scarred for And my whole crew life. was drowned. <laughs> and and I'm the I... only one that survived and everybody died of the measles and... I'm still here and isn't it great? <laughs> but yeah. Even if he did survive the whole thing and he ended up in sort of a Titanic situation lying there on, on a piece of wood, like after seven years on the high seas, like how where, how did he come back to Ireland? <laughs> where did he go? Was he floating on a bit of driftwood and he landed yeah. up somewhere in fucking Greenland or something and just yeah. came ashore? What's the story up. there? Or maybe it was just a load of bullshit. That a lad was spouting in a bar after 45 pints and a few grips. But you said we'll we'll get back to J.M. Crofts. And what we found about this song is that it's uh, the information is fairly fucking scarce. There's (laughs) there's not much to be said about J.M. Crofts, really. The song is believed to have been from from maybe the late 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, and it's uh, attributed to J.M. Crofts more or less everywhere that it's posted, but who Joseph M. Crofts isn't really. You found a few sentences about him on on a website, Josh. What? Yeah, like I said, I was trying to get into the dark side of uh, the dark side of Google. There, looking for J.M. Crofts, and uh, the best I could find is literally three sentences. Yeah, it's three sentences. And this is, bear in mind, folks, this is the most information that we've been able to find about the entire song anywhere online, which is really interesting because it's in the route index. It's it's in all of those places where you would expect to find folk songs, but it just doesn't have any info. And uh, yeah, 
So this is on countysongs.ie and it just says J.M. Crofts. I have no biography of Joseph M. Crofts. The best I can find is a Joseph Mary Crofts, age 24, who was recorded in the 1911 census as a Delph and hardware merchant living in Dublin at 82 Camden Street, Lower West Side. He could read and write and was fluent in Irish and English languages. His songs include The Carlo Maid, Lament for Patrick Pierce, Sweet Lovely Vale of Adair, Eily McManus, Wild Colonial Boy, A Battle Hymn, Galloping Hogan and The Irish Rover. And now that I'm actually reading it back again and I see that he was a Delphin hardware merchant, he could very well have been involved in a ship similar to what is being described in The Irish Rover. Looks like he lived uh, in in the early 1900s and he wrote a fairly reputable list of songs and still we don't know anything about him which is fascinating to me I I love that about the folk the mysteries about the people that wrote the songs and I find that very fascinating Funnily a song like The Irish Rover is one that I would have expected to be a more modern song with more info available about it I didn't realise that it would be one of the ones that would be more difficult to research and wouldn't have too much info like um, you would expect that for maybe older songs but The, the Irish Rover to me just seemed like a upbeat kind of song that the Dubliners would have picked up on that would have been well known and kind of it is well known everyone knows it around the world so yeah. it just caught, caught me by surprise that it was more ambiguous than we expected you can sort of hear that he is a Delphin hardware merchant when you look at what the the song is really just taking inventory of a, of a yeah. shop it's you start to wonder if he was a hardware merchant or a bullshit merchant <laughs> To be honest, because the amount of stuff that they fit onto that, like it, this, would have had to be bigger than Noah's Ark. It'd be fucking, it'd be a million times the size of the Titanic. The way he's carrying on here, when you hear the amount of things that were on this fucking ship, you you'll realize that it's no wonder it sank. I'm surprised it didn't sink before it left the harbor, as I said already. Like <laughs> me and Christian are loving this uh, list of bullet points on the Wikipedia page that talks about the contents of what was being shipped on the Irish Rover because it basically takes everything that they mentioned in the song but they bullet point it in a really, really uh, formal way. Yeah, <laughs> it's as if it was a real story. Shall, shall I list off some of the checklist? Yeah, go on, go on. Um, so we have bags of the best Sligo rags, 8 million. <laughs> Barrels of porter, 7 million. But my favourite here in the list, well, we go through it and you have packets of bones, 4 million. Don't know why they'd be making their way to America. Blind horses hides, three million. Why do the horses have to be blind? Uh, bu- buckets of stones, two million. And bales of old billy goat's tails, one million. <laughs> what even is that, Josh? What are <laughs> bales of old billy goat's tails? Just a normal male goat, it would be a billy goat. And then bales of their tails. So bales, the bales that I'm used to would be farming bales. So you gather your grass and your silage and you bale it up in a big, huge ball but and so you, you save so it you, for the winter. So you so, bale up the, the goat's tails. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. And and it's it's one million bales. It's not one million billy goat's tails. It's one million bales of billy goat's tails. How yeah. Like the size of a bale, how I imagine it, it's it's fairly big. Yeah. So how many million billy goats take? Like, there there aren't that many goats in Ireland that you would be able to do that. That's not possible. And the size of a billy goat's tail as well. Yeah, there's, like there's plenty, we're talking, like, it's probably a million billy goat's tails in one single bale. So that means like a million, <laughs> mi- that's a billion billy goat's tails. Are there a billion goats in Ireland? <laughs> Have there ever been a billion goats in Ireland? Are any of those goats walking around now without tails? <laughs> it must affect their balance something fierce. There's probably a, a billion poor goats roaming what? around, falling around the place. Because their tails oh are in God. bales on a boat at the bottom of the sea. But my favourite, my favourite of all is at the top of the list there. Bricks. <laughs> undefined quantity. An undefined quantity of bricks. And like, why did all these things get shipped to America? And do America not have these things? I mean, the 8 million of the best Sligo rags, I can understand. Like, who wouldn't want a nice Sligo rag? 2 million barrels of bone. Why? <laughs> why? are are those, Is that the billy goats? 
are they playing bones, percussion bones, like for for carrying on the the Irish tradition of bone playing in America? If so, what? is there four is there four million bones players over in America now? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Do you know what I think? No. I think that this is all all just an elaborate scheme thought up by a bullshit artist. <laughs> well, no matter what, it's adding to the bullshit of the song. But regardless of that, as we said in Johnny Jump Up before, although all the ambiguities and questionable things that we hear within these folk songs, they still account for some great songs. Tell us about the characters. I'm going to read it off from Wikipedia because it gives it a certain gravity when you put it this way. Like The song does not explicitly mention how many sailors were on board when they set sail, but the following characters are mentioned along with a notable attribute. Mickey Coot played the flute. <laughs> or as, as is, it is in the lyrics, there was all Mickey Coot who played hard on his flute. There's Barney McGee, from the banks of the Lee, there is Hogan from County Tyrone. So his his most notable attribute is the fact that he's from Tyrone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Johnny McGurk had a strong aversion to work. Malone, a man from Westmeath. I wonder if he knew Molly. Slugger O'Toole. Slugger, is that a nickname for a specific yeah. name or is it just because he was a slugger? Sounds to me like a nickname anyway. Like slugger, as in he's slugging his pints, as in he likes yeah. to drink. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was perpetually drunk, so it's yeah. no wonder they called him slugger. I just love the formalities in this Wikipedia page. Slugger O'Toole <laughs> was perpetually drunk. Yeah. Billy Tracy, a fighter from Dover. Mick McCann from the banks of the Ban. He was the skipper. We only have two characters left. It's the captain's dog, uh, which hasn't got any attributes whatsoever. And the poor old dog was drowned. Oh. And then the singer, the last sailor living on the Irish Rover, which is the, the final the line of the song. I'm the last of the Irish Rover. The so, bullshit artist himself. The bullshit ar- artist himself. And let's move swiftly into that topic, Josh. The yes, bullshit. Because this song is obviously, there is no doubt in my mind that this is a story that has been told by some drunk person in a bar at some stage well we definitely all know people like this that you meet them and they talk to you and they have to outdo you all the time i know a particular lad that uh that well i won't say any names obviously but he's got some he's got some serious stories and he always has to outdo the rest of us when he tells them like if i if i say if i say i don't know if i say oh god i can see my house from the top of that hill he'd say well i can see my house from the top of the skyscraper in dublin <laughs> <laughs> but like just that that kind of bullshit but I think we all know people like that that always have to get one up on you and you're just like yeah they t- even they bullshit so much that they think that even they're telling the truth sometimes which is yeah. hilarious yeah we all know people like that like you said <laughs> but drunk talk in general in the pubs like it's something that you have to say you miss at the moment <sighs> I don't know what the culture of it is like in Norway but in Ireland like the pub is the most social place to go and you go in there and like you'll be with your friends and chatting away but especially in a place like our local in Dublin where we played music most nights of the week and hung out when we weren't touring or gigging is the Kelp Bar on Talbot Street as you well know yeah. and uh, Jesus the amount of shit that you'd be talking in that place with everyone and anyone like you could literally be talking to a celebrity from New York like multi-millionaire about absolute rubbish and then the next day you could be talking to the local lad from next door about the same rubbish. <laughs> and it's just hilarious, like, the people you meet and the conversations you have over a pint of Guinness. The pub is is the place to go for that sort of stuff. And I would say that of those conversations that I've had in pubs in, in Norway that compare to what you're depicting there is the ones that I've had in, in places like the Dubliner or yeah. uh, or other Irish bars. There There's something about an Irish pub that... I was about to say, does that make it an Irish thing? That's a good question. I just think that may, maybe it's not an Irish thing, but it the Irish bar inspires that sort of... Maybe it's the Guinness. Maybe it's in the Guinness. <laughs> but it happens when you're not drinking Guinness too. Like, I definitely know for a fact... 
that any Irish bar I've been in or played in around the world, I've had these conversations and met people. And they're not even other Irish people. Like, you know yourself. The people that I've met and the shit I've talked with people in Norway and Italy and France and fucking Morocco. Actually, yeah. I've had some of the most interesting conversations in my life in the Irish bar down in Casablanca in Morocco. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, really mad stuff like that you'd never think you'd be talking about with anyone but yeah but maybe that's the soul of the irish pub or the irish bar like you can easily you can very easily slap on a few shamrocks and call a pub molly malone's or paddy mcgee's or or something along those lines or the shamrock bar but it isn't really an irish bar until you, you get that and and i think that comes from uh, people identifying with the place it needs the regulars it needs the people that would rather go there than anywhere else and you notice it a lot more living abroad like I remember living in San Francisco and you could go to these Irish bars if you were feeling particularly lonely or if you had nothing to do there would you wouldn't think twice about going to one of the pubs maybe where you've been with a friend or where you've talked to the bar maids or the barmen before and sitting there and just having a drink for something to do you know and then you would actually get talking to other Irish people or anyone in general and you'd probably end up having good crack you know whereas I remember living in Spain and I took a weekend once in uh, Palma de Mallorca which is the island off the coast of Spain there and uh, I arrived a day or two before the person I was traveling there with and I was there one the first evening and I was like Jesus what am I going to do now And I went up to, well, I googled the Irish bars just because I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to find someone. I mentioned this before, like, if you don't know what to do, go to an Irish bar and you'll end up talking to people, you know. So I ended up in this place called Molly Malone's. Of course. Naturally, as as you do. As you do. (laughs) And uh, I sat in there and there was only a few other people in there, but I, like, you can tell straight away that it's not the same vibe of an Irish bar as you would have in other places. You know, I sat there and I had a drink or two, but I I didn't end up talking to anyone. Uh, yeah. Even even the barman was just like, oh, yeah, here's your drink. Bye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? and that's exactly it. I can I can list probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Irish bars in Oslo city centre. But several of them are yeah. are just that someone bought the starter pack for Irish bar and it gives you the the name and the sign and it gives you the interior but it doesn't give you the soul but if you go to and I'm gonna I'm talking up the Dubliner here but the Dubliner folk pub in Oslo city centre is the heart and soul of the the Irish Celtic community in in Oslo, it's, you know what it has. It has the people and it has the history, and I think the heart of all of this that we're talking about is the people themselves. Yeah, like the stories that they tell and the, and like the history behind the place. You know that the Celt in Dublin or O'Donoghue's in Dublin has a history, and the people love it, and they go there, and that history continues. You can tell, like from a place, like you said, and from the staff and the barmen, are they the genuine article are they trying here or are they just like you said trying to make money like even i i love traveling to boondocks hideout in yeah. tonsberg and we always play there in uh, norway a couple of times a year and the owner morton is like i love how morton is 100 percent norwegian but he's genuinely so interested in the irish culture and he comes to ireland and that's where he found me and scotty connor and he asked us to play in boondocks and developed a relationship with us but he's genuinely 100% invested in Ireland yeah if you know what I mean and the music and the songs and everything and that's what you need to be a genuine article Irish bar owner I think if you're just like you said getting the generic signs and cashing in the heart of it isn't going to be in the place anyway and it's just going to be one of those places that you go when you're on holiday in Spain that doesn't have too many punters but gets by and it's an Irish bar that maybe people are in UK. People from the UK will go there to watch the football and just that kind of thing, you know. There's a difference between one and the other, and it's only in one of the two that you end up getting the sort of stories that is the Irish Rover. It's only in one of the two that you end up talking to someone across the bar. Uh, and they tell you that they were on a ship for seven years and everyone died and there was one million bales of of nanny goat's tails 
it's I, I love that though like <laughs> like he did it in the scene setting as well like oh Jesus I was on a I was on a ship there and mother of God we had we had to bring a million books on this cargo ship and we had to car- carry them all onto the ship ourselves and carry them off and some lad in the corner going that's fucking nothing so when I was on the last trip I was on we had a million bales of nanny goat's tails and we had <laughs> What was the other one? We had eight million bags of the best Sligo rags. <laughs> <laughs> like, you'd be sitting there going, fair play to you, Charlie, yeah, good man. <laughs> but you get that, like, and you'd be there. I remember being on the Aran Islands, and uh, I'm lucky enough to be fluent in Irish, but, like, there's no Irish like there is on the Aran Islands. It's fantastic to be immersed in it and in the middle of it, but old fishermen standing at the bar in the only bar on Ninishir, by the way. And I remember chatting to them and he'd be saying, Oh, and he'd be he'd be talking and like e- even me who has spoken Irish since I was two years old would be struggling to understand what this man is saying. But he'd be telling me about the millions of fish that he caught off the coast and this and that and I'm going, Okay, first of all your boat is small enough like that it wouldn't be able to carry more than you and maybe two other people let alone <laughs> two million fish like but this is the kind of thing that I love these conversations and you're just sitting there going oh yeah geez fair play to you oh yeah that's great it's funny um the term for a story like that in in Norwegian is fiskehistoria a fish history that's what we call it that's when someone tells you an obvious lie or an obvious exaggeration it comes from from the people that tell the story like how big was the fish like yeah big no yeah big oh when i was young i caught a fish that was a (laughs) hundred kilos it was that size yeah it's it comes from that that, but that and that's why we say "Mm, something sounds fishy there yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that uh, your man J.M. Crofts did actually uh, ever intend people to believe the story. It's just, it works really well. Yeah. Maybe he was with some other merchants at the time and he was out drinking with them and one of them gave him this story and he decided to write it down. Yeah. <laughs> but it's <laughs> like, a funny subcategory of, of Irish songs or folk songs yeah. in general and it falls sorted together with with uh Tim Finnegan's wake as well like it's yeah. it's there's there's no root in reality it has like it's just a made up story that yeah. that's there to to have fun And this one what I like about this one as well is the story within the song follows the external story of the song like it literally takes the same journey to America except the song itself didn't crash and burn <laughs> the song arrived and made its way back and Again, like any folk song, I just love that there's so many different versions and verses and which ones are the real ones, who feckin' knows, were they all part of the original version? I don't know, but there's, if you look it up, like, so many different singers sing it and so many different singers have different verses that would not exist in other versions. Like, I just came across some other verses there that I would never have heard before, which is really interesting. I love that. And you can mix and match. This is another interesting thing about folk music. Like if you find a verse you like that you never heard before, add it in to feckin'. Yeah, the last verse of the song uh, starts off with we had sailed seven years when the measles broke out. And we were talking Mm -hmm. about the song when we we were doing research just before we pressed record. And I've always sung the measles broke out. And mm-hmm. I believe that you too have sung when the measles broke out. And we yeah. just realised now that that is actually not correct. Well, like, it's a, it's a classic case of misheard song lyrics, apparently, like, which is a massive, massive thing in folk songs in general. Because over the years, so many people have always passed on songs by ear. Just like the tunes before that, like the instrumental stuff, everything changes ever so slightly each time it gets passed on until eventually you have a completely different feckin' song. But um, I came across a band here called the Pudensky Brothers and I'm on their website, thepudenskybrothers.co.uk and uh, they have more information on their site about the song than I was able to find anywhere else. It says here, history has also added to some of the confusion of this song. The lyrics refer, as do most popular versions of the song, to measles breaking out on the ship, which leads to its sinking. This is based on misheard lyrics, which refers to the mizzens breaking out. The mizzen was a third mast, a smaller mast placed just behind the main mast of early 19th century sailing ships. 
the mizzen breaking may well have led to the ship losing its way in the fog. Um, a tall tale pub boast about a great ship whose described size and cargo are way beyond anything imaginable, but you have to believe the teller because he's the only member of the crew left alive. <laughs> so yeah. Exactly what we said. Yeah, but yeah. the mizzens broke out. That makes a lot more sense than the measles broke out when the ship lost its way in the fog. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you kind of accept the story for what it is because of what it is, but um, it does make more sense. Why would the ship lose its way? Because one of the masts is fucking broken. But then again, if the ship just lost its way in the fog, why did the whale of a crew reduce down to two? Also true. Again, fucking folk songs. Do you know, but this is the whole thing about misheard lyrics as well. Like, when you listen to some of these folk songs that have changed so much over the years, you very much realize if you focus on the story and the lyrics that there's things missing or parts that you don't understand. Like, we've noticed that I know we didn't release an episode of it, but Bound for Caledonia, there was things in there that until we saw and read the full version, we didn't realize were missing. There's parts of stories that are completely left out of modern day versions of folk songs and you just kind of accept it for what it is but if you pay attention to it you're like hang on how did this happen or how did they get from here to here (laughs) do you think that's um partly because like how the tradition has become sort of an entertainment thing where a lot of people aren't actually listening and especially when it's exported to non-english speaking countries where english isn't the first language there are a lot of let me promise you there are a lot of bars around the world where there is a lot of Irish music being played and no one is listening to a single word so I know myself from from all of my days playing in Irish bars that we very often decided on how many verses we were gonna perform in uh, a particular song purely based on the length of the song not taking into consideration the story at Mm -hmm. all that's the funny thing like but when you're playing in somewhere like Temple Bar at midnight to a bunch of drunk tourists and they want to hear the song, the the other interesting thing about that is that like certain songs like that, I might only know two verses of because I've never performed them or learned them. And I just know them from listening to them and they request it and they consistently request it and annoy me to the point that I go, okay, thank <laughs> you. I'll feckin' play the two verses that I know. And you just play two verses and maybe you play the first verse again. <laughs> yeah. And just to keep them happy and they love it. They don't care. But like, I see what you mean like there with the story, like do you sacrifice the s- sake of a story? But at the same time, I think that that ambiguity originates from the idea of folk songs in general. Like I said, in the folk clubs in England, for example, in the 1960s, all of the folk singers were touring the folk clubs at the same time, they would spend the year going around England and they would come across each other, meet each other on the road, listen to each other's gigs and love songs. And backstage in the dressing room, they would say, sorry, before you go, do you mind just playing that song to me three times? And they'd play the song three times and the other person would have his guitar out and he'd be trying to learn it. That's actually a really interesting story about, we'll, we'll probably talk about it another time, but from clear to here, the Furies... Yeah, yeah. Fury's melody of Clear to Hear is actually not the melody that that song was written with. If you go and you look at Ralph McTell's recording of Clear to Hear, it's the original melody that he wrote. But he tells the story that he met the Furies backstage in a folk club, played it to them by ear, and by the time they got home afterwards and, <laughs> and played it again, it was a different song, you know? Yeah, which is but it, their their version is iconic as well, so it's it's just really interesting. It sort of reminds me of uh, our Johnny Jump Up episode where Christy Moore had at one point said that he first heard the song "Upstairs in a Tent" performed <laughs> by uh, uh, Jimmy Crowley. Jimmy Crowley, yeah. <laughs> and Jimmy Crowley's version is is slightly yeah. different from the Christy Moore version, and and that is obviously that's just the way of the folk songs. Like they evolve. Every singer they, is going to make it their own. Yeah. One of my favorite stories about Christy is like back back in those days, he said, if you heard a singer sing a song you really liked, and you had to you had to learn it or you wanted to learn it, you'd have to go to his gig and you'd listen to him and you'd listen and you'd write the verse that he's singing really quickly <laughs> down on a piece of paper and then you'd have to go again the following night to get the second verse. Aww. And he said, and then he said, so basically I followed this lad around for three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But back to the misheard song lyrics, I have a couple of funny stories. Go on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a brilliant story there from when I was gigging in my old storehouse days in Temple Bar with uh, Sparky Hughes. And he always told the story about an American woman 
that came up to him at a gig and asked him to play the song I Heard It On The Radio. And he said, I heard it on the radio. Yeah, everybody knows it. I heard it on the radio. And she complained to the bar because he didn't know it. She, like, raised a scene. She caused such a fuss. And he was like, I don't fucking know. I heard it on the radio. What are you talking about? It's that typical Irish folk song that everybody knows. Come on. And he's like, what are you talking about? Could Can you sing a little bit of it? And she goes, heard it on the radio. There's whiskey in the jar. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. I know that is the and that's just a typical like day out in, as a gigger in Temple Bar back in the day. There I am again back in the day as a typical gigger in Temple Bar in my gigging days during college. But yeah, you get a lot of misheard song lyrics, especially from non-Irish natives. I won't say any particular country there because you know yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the other story was. An Irish person, actually, the Today FM, an Irish radio station, had a competition where they were giving out some prizes. And the one thing that you had to do was call the station. And if they brought you on air, you had to sing the Irish national anthem from start to finish in Irish. Oh. <laughs> they got a woman on the show and she sang the entire thing perfectly. Like, are, are you aware of like the general gist of the Irish national anthem? Yeah. The general gist, yeah, yeah. I, d- I won't. I won't pretend to know the lyrics, but I know you. You're not a fluent Irish speaker, but would you be able to phonetically, for example, sing some of the song? Uh, let me get the lyrics up and and let's see. We can do an anthem special another day. Yeah, Shina Fianna Fall, a Tafui Ral Agarin. Is there any specific line you're thinking about? Um, come the last line. Show live. Conig Aran Navian. Yeah. So the woman that calls into the radio station to do this competition sings the entire song perfectly, start to finish until she gets to the last line. And then she says, Shoving Colleen's around the field. <laughs> like that must have been some sort of like primary school joke that everyone like <laughs> that everyone but her was in on. Yeah. <laughs> like imagine doing that on national radio, like I'd say the lads presenting that show were in absolute bits. That is hysterical. Folks, if you want to write into us with some of your favourite misheard song lyrics, we would very happily read them out on the show. That is something that we enjoy very much. Yeah. It's nice to see people are listening to us and uh, we're getting quite a good response, especially to the episode we did with the Finns the other day, which is going quite well. Means that uh, people like hearing other people talking so we'll certainly get more guests on so we can shut the folk up <laughs> the less we talk and the more you talk the better <laughs> on that note it's it's a good point to to say again like if if you have any suggestions for songs or guests or you want to propose yourself as a guest go on we say this every episode write us in Tura Lura podcast at gmail.com. That's two O's in Tura and two O's in Lura. <laughs> Even if you have some suggestions for things within the show itself, like um, segments or a specific thing that you'd like us to explore in terms of the folk songs and all of that kind of stuff, we'd be very interested in your input. To advertise with us, particularly Monster Energy, we are here and we are <laughs> ready. Six million barrels of Monster Energy. I'll, Send I'll, them on a ship. Courtesy of the Irish Rover to two places, actually. We're going to need one being sent to um, Oslo Fjord. (laughs) Yeah. And if the other one could come in the Shannon Estuary there and pull up somewhere along the River Fergus, I'll pick it up. We'll have them in about seven years. They'll float ashore in about seven years together (laughs) with a dead dog. I feel like we're, we're coming close to an end, Josh. It sounds like we are. It sounds like we are. Compared to how what we had to go on when we started, I certainly think we had a good old chat about the Irish Rover, misheard lyrics, bullshit stories and everything else. Are there any other Irish Rovers out there that want to send us an old story? Have any of you been on the biggest ship in the world with the most cargo ever? Have you caught the the biggest fish? Have you played the longest set of tunes? We want to know. Either if if you are a notorious bullshitter or you know a notorious bullshitter, 
write us in. We like I know this doesn't put us in the best light. We we like to think that we're super popular and we know that people <laughs> at least a few people enjoy the show, but we haven't gotten a single email yet. So please Sad be, times. be the first to send us in an email to Tura Podcast at gmail.com. Go on, Josh, what's the catchphrase? Two O's in Tura. Tuos in Lura. That's Tura Lura for all your podcast needs. There is also the Instagram. It is at Tura Lura Podcast on Instagram. Just type Tura Lura Podcast into your IG and find us and you can tag us. You can post a story and tag us in that story. You can slide into our DMs. We are so grateful for any sort of attention that we get. Absolutely. Those story posts and shares are actually just as valuable and important to us as any other, as the reviews on Apple Podcasts, even though the reviews will bump us up in the search engine, shares will get us out to other people too. So, And you mentioned the reviews. As always, we're asking for reviews. If you are so inclined, go into Apple Podcast. Just leave a review, leave some stars. Some you sweet, can, sweet stars. <laughs> some sweet stars and go into... Go into Facebook and find us there and give us a, a little like as well. That was the, the housekeeping, the, the begging. That's right. Folks, it's been a pleasure to have you listening to us, as always. And um, yeah, we've done all the housekeeping. We've talked all the shite. Don't get on any boats that size, full of that much stuff going over to America, because it might not end well. The two biggest stories we have from Ireland to America on those boats ended in heartbreak. <laughs> The Titanic and the Irish Rover. God help us all. So yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys, and I suppose we'll see you next week. Ah, <gasps> Slon. Turalurlu. Turalura. Sail seven years when the missiles broke out, and the ship lost its way in the fog, and the whale of a crew was reduced down to two. Oh, Just myself and the captain's old Then the ship struck a rock. Oh Lord, what a shock! <gasps> the bulkhead was turned right over. Jeez, oh, it's awful sad. It turned knee times around, and the pure old Madra was drowned. <laughs> Is a Jaranach, oh, an Irish rover. Tis often sad. He had his whole life ahead of him. Poor old dog. <laughs>